So we're just going to just pray um, and then we are going to come to God's word. Father, we thank you for the way in which you communicate with your people. And Lord, we, we truly want to receive from you, we want to be hearing from you this morning. We thank you for what's been spoken already into our lives. And we pray now as we come to your word that you would continue to speak. Lord, thank you, Lord, for dreams. Thank you, Lord, that you speak in so many different ways. Thank you, Lord, for interpretations, for words of knowledge. Father, we pray now as we just look to your word, Lord, the source of, of hope and, and life, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would transform us, we ask, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, as we have heard already, Lord, we look to you, our Saviour and our Lord. We lift our gaze. And we remember that this is not our home, but eternity is our home. And Father, we thank you for the glory that you have set before us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that you've arrived home and you find somebody's robbing your house. So at that very moment, they're walking out through your front door with a television and with your laptop. So you phone the police and immediately they rush over to your home and they arrive and they stand outside and they begin to sing about their authority. They declare it to one another and all this time the intruders just carry on just clearing out your house. Now this scenario may seem somewhat ridiculous and I hope it is, yet very often it's actually a very accurate picture of what we do. You see, we talk about our authority, we sing about our authority, we even proclaim it loudly, but we don't exercise it. And there's a world of difference between having authority and actually exercising authority. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. It's going to just face into some scripture just here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. We read this. I... Pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power, listen to me, listen to the bit, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one that is to come. And God placed all things under his feet and anointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who filled everything in every way. And your authority is based on the finished work of Christ and through his resurrection. This authority is complete in you as long as you live in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But the authority that you have received comes with it responsibility to use it for God's purposes. So if you don't rebuke the devil, he will not be rebuked. 
And I want to let you into a little secret. In fact, a secret that should never ever be a secret. Satan knows about your authority in Christ. But he is hoping that you stay ignorant of it. Listen, you need to exercise your authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we going to pick up where we left off last week, if you missed, this is part two. Part one was last Sunday, it's on podcast if you want to catch up. But we talked about how we need to sit, knowing that our identity is in Christ. That we reign with him. That is who we are because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed shed for us. But also, we need to walk. We walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ Jesus. And then we can stand in the authority that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Because of him. Only because of him. And I want to just share five ways in which you can exercise the authority that is yours in Christ through prayer. Taken from the book and mentioned last week, Spiritual Warfare for Every Christian. The first authority is this. The name of Jesus as a weapon. The precious name of Jesus is powerful. And you need to understand what happens among demonic powers when you use the name of Jesus. Now, it's not a magic word, in fact, and, but, but we actually also need to be submitted to Jesus to use it. But this name represents the same power that Jesus used when demons just ran and cried in terror at the sound of his name and were cast into a herd of pigs. The name of Jesus is given to you to be used by Jesus himself. A resurrected, victorious saviour. The one who is Lord over all. So Jesus says in Mark 16 verse 17. In my name they will cast out demons. And the name of Jesus carries with it all the power and victory of the cross and the resurrection. And listen, there is no greater power than that. Secondly, the word of God in warfare. And the second way we exercise authority is to use the word of God. So Ephesians 6 verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. See, the word of God is not just another book. I think most of us know that by now, I hope. But it's like a sword. It's sharp. It's too aged. It has a powerful effect against the enemy. But you must use it. In the same way that Jesus used the word of God in the wilderness to combat Satan, so we must use scripture as a mighty weapon. So we use verses like 1 John 3 verse 8. The reason the Son of God appears was to destroy the devil's work. Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Revelations 5 verse 9. Speaking about Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll to open the seal because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. And God's word is one of the most powerful weapons that you have. And you need to use it effectively and powerfully. You need to remind Satan that he is defeated. Remind yourself that Jesus Christ is victorious. Thirdly, the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus breathed onto his disciples in John 20, verse 22, 
and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He gave them the legal authority of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is essential if you are to stand in authority. Which is why Jesus told his disciples at the very beginning of the book of Acts to wait in Jerusalem. Why? Until they received power. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my disciples in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this power gave them the ability to carry out the authority that was already theirs in Christ and so it is for you. In fact, just like the police, you have the authority but you need the muscle in order to carry it out. If you like, the Holy Spirit is your muscle. He's your power, given to you by the Father. So Jesus said in, Mark, in Matthew 12, 28, but it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. And if Jesus did this in the power of the Spirit, guess what? Even more. How much more do we need to be praying at all times in the Spirit, to be living in step with the Holy Spirit in order to drive back and to break down the powers of the enemy? Fourthly, the blood of Jesus. And the fourth way we exercise authority is to remind Satan of the blood of Jesus. Revelation 12 verse 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So remind Satan of his defeat at the cross when the precious blood of Jesus Christ was poured out for the atonement of our sins. It was there that the curse and the enemy's hold over mankind was reversed and was broken. The declaration of the blood of Jesus Christ has a powerful effect on the enemy. It defeats the work of darkness in every situation. But we need to freshly apply it every time, in every place, there really is power in the blood. Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. You know the hymn? That's true. Absolutely true. Fifthly, tell the truth. The last way we exercise our authority that is ours through Jesus is by the word of your testimony. Now this can mean a couple of different things. It is a declaration of the great work and the character of God. The devil is a liar. Do you know that? He is a liar. He is deceptive. He will twist truth as much as he possibly can. And his most common lies are to tell you that God cannot be trusted or that he does not exist or that he does not care about you. You defeat those lies by testifying to what God has said about how God acts, how God moves, about what his real character is like and what a great and what a wonderful thing that he has done for you. So proclaim the mighty deeds and works of God. But also you need to give testimony to the truth about yourself, both positive and also negative. See, when you're honest and you're open, when you share what truly is upon your heart, rather than pretending, you bring what is in darkness into light. And this is important. So whether it be sin, whether it be a situation or circumstances, you bring it from darkness into light. Listen, Satan loses his power. Evil no longer has control over that situation and circumstance. The work of the enemy can only function in darkness, in deception and hypocrisy. So when you, when you are open and you proclaim the truth and you share your heart and your needs with others, it breaks the control of the enemy. 
You must walk in the light and in truth. Listen, this is so important. And there are stories of, be- of people being completely set free and even healed just by declaring what really has happened in their heart. But it's also so important that we stay balanced. It should not just be about negative things. It is equally important that we speak out the positive. You must proclaim the truth, the positive truth about yourself, who you are in Christ. Declare to the enemy the truth of your life in Jesus. Proclaim, I am washed by the blood of Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ. I am more than a conqueror. I am accepted as the bride of Christ. Your testimony really is a mighty weapon. It reminds Satan, in fact it reminds yourself, that he is the defeated foe. It cuts through and it shatters the intimidation, the accusations of the enemy. It gives you confidence to keep exercising your authority. But he will hold his ground until you exercise your God-given authority against him. You must deal with the enemy. So we need to learn to take both a defensive but also an offensive position. In fact, any good warrior would do such a thing. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's scheme. And standing firm means to defend righteousness and truth so that you must be committed to righteousness and truth within your life but also within the society that is around us as well. But there's also an offensive position that we need to take. It's not just about holding ground. You and I need to be taking new ground. But unfortunately, too many people operate only in the defensive mode spiritually. They're unwilling to take new ground. Very much what that dream was about. Very much what what that uh, interpretation was about. Church, we need to go on the offensive. It's all very well. It's all very good to stand in church, to attend meeting after meeting, to hear that God is building his church. And we can even declare that the church is mighty and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the sad truth is that in many, many areas, the gates of hell are prevailing. Entire cities, communities, schools, families, marriages, individuals are trapped behind the gates of hell. The Bible does not say that the gates of hell are going to just automatically fold and fall down. Gates are there for a defensive purpose. And if there's no attack against them, they will continue to stand and they're not going to fall down by themselves. We have to move against them. And a strong, mature body, a strong, mature church must go on the offensive, must advance against the gates of hell and then they will not prevail. Matthew 16 verse 18. You must learn to be spiritual warriors. We're called to be. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament is actually a good example of this. You see, when they came into the promised land, they knew that land was promised to them. God had given to them already. It had been spoken about many, many times before, but they had to fight for it. They had to drive out the ungodly tribes that were there before they could take the land. So they had to learn to fight. And so do you. You need to be a spiritual warrior. Remember, you don't fight against people. Remember last week we said 
first principle of spiritual warfare is what? Fight the right enemy. Don't fight your co-workers. Don't fight each other. We fight the powers of darkness, the forces of evil. Start with your own heart. Drive out the hostile tribes within your lives. Put to death ungodly desires and passions. But unless you rely on God, you are not going to be able to drive them out. Actually, the very presence of these tribes should actually keep God's people completely and absolutely dependent on him. So you need to have an uncompromising obedience to him. You never need to lose the battle or to give up the peace that is yours in him. You are called to drive out the powers of darkness. But I cannot overemphasize this enough. You cannot, you cannot do this without God. And he will not do it apart from you. You must learn to be a warrior, to walk faithfully in obedience to God, to learn to rely on him completely. And God is calling you to take a responsibility. Yes, he will do the work through you by the power of his spirit, but you must stand up and take action. You need to be sharing your faith, to be evangelizing, to be telling your friends, your neighbors about Jesus. You must be praying. You need to resist the devil. If you don't resist the devil, he is not resisted. You will become an effective warrior when you're filled with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And then you'll be equipped with his infinite power and grace. But if you're waiting around for God to do it all, you will wait in vain. This is not the way he operates in this world. Much of what he does, he does through his people. In other words, he does through us. Actually, he has told us exactly what we should be doing. There's no secret in this. He's, he's given us all the weapons that we ever would need to be able to do it as well. But perhaps the primary way in which we should engage with spiritual warfare is through intercession. So Paul writes, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. I urge you then, first of all, the, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all God's people. You cannot read Paul's letter without realizing that he puts prayer at a very top priority within the church. I'll go further than that and say every significant event in church history has been brought about through prayer from the Apostle Paul to Jonathan Edwards to Billy Graham. We could mention many more, of course, but the influence that they had on this earth is proportionate to the amount of time that they spent on their knees in prayer. You hearing this, church? The influence that we will have as a church will be proportionate to the amount of time that we commit to prayer. For all Christians, prayer must come first. So in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, Paul mentions a number of different types of prayers. Petitions. These are the simple requests that are made to God. As you've already heard me say perhaps many times before, God wants you to ask with persistence, with fervency... This is a command from God. In fact, we are encouraged to do it. He is a generous God who loves to give. A God who likes your company. But you need to learn to ask with the right motives. But more than anything, you need to ask. Thanksgiving. These are the prayers that acknowledge in faith that God is God. 
that God will do what he has promised to do. He is the one who works through you and in you and for you. And you can confidently declare that he will do what you have asked him to do. So make sure you tell God that you are thankful that he is merciful, that he is faithful, that he is glorious, that he is majestic, that he is wonderful. Thank God that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever ask or imagine or even think. Every quest you bring to God should be done with thanksgiving. Every prayer of thanksgiving fires arrows into the enemy's camp. However, every complaint, every word of unbelief draws arrows back into our camp. It damages the church. It damages the kingdom of God. Intercession, thirdly. Intercession is prayer on behalf of someone. And Jesus, of course, is the greatest example of all of this. He is at this very moment interceding before God for you. But intercession also means to come between. You cannot intercede for yourself. You can stand in the gap on behalf of someone or something else. You can intercede for individuals, for a city, for a nation, for a business, for a group, for a situation. And as you intercede, you stand between a person, a place, a thing, and God. You can make specific requests for protection for provision, for direction, for blessing from God. You can intercede on behalf of our city. You can ask that God would hold back his righteous judgment and anger. You can pray that he would show mercy. Habakkuk 3, 2, in wrath, O Lord, remember mercy. It is your prayers that give him the reason to extend mercy and to give people an opportunity to repent. But as you intercede, you are a threat to the devil and to the evil forces. As you stand between, you hinder the work of Satan on earth. You turn away his attacks and you destroy his plans. And what the devil tries to do, in fact, all too often, in fact, all too easily, is to preoccupy our time and our energies with ourselves. The more we become distracted with internal fighting or focusing on our problems, the less effective your intercessory prayers will become. Satan wants you to be bound by fears, by depression, crippled by lust or by materialism. Anything that will stop you from praying. In fact, he probably doesn't mind if you're praying as long as your prayers are just completely self-centered. You need to wake up, to get up. To see the threat that you are to him as an intercessor. To realise how significant you are as an agent of God here on earth. You need to be actively resisting the powers of darkness. To stand against his works and effects in people's lives. So pray. Intercede. As you're praying for someone perhaps in your family or a friend who doesn't know Jesus yet. Perhaps pray something like this. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I ask you bring conviction on my friend, that they would come to a place of repentance and faith. Satan, I come against you in the name of Jesus, and I cut off any influence that you have in the life of my friend in the area of trust or fear or lies or deception. And actually, maybe the words are are, are perhaps less important than actually doing it. But what you are doing has a powerful effect in the unseen realms. You're standing against Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. You're forbidding him to act. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew chapter 16 verse 19. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, the kingdom of God is simply where Jesus reigns. And you can cut off the influences of the enemy from people's lives, from cities, from nations. When you pray, you bind him in the name of Jesus. But also, you can pray, you can call down God's kingdom into people's lives, into cities, into nations. You loose them. You're declaring people are set free. You loose them when you pray for the specifics of the kingdom of heaven to come. Praying things like conviction, repentance, grace, love, revelation. At the same time, you bind demonic forces from their work and their influence. You loose the Holy Spirit and the angels to work and to bring godly influence. Now, I'm not saying that every time we intercede that we have to bind and to resist the devil. And although intercession certainly does include spiritual warfare, it doesn't always include it. But it's so important that we are listening to the Holy Spirit, that we are discerning and we are understanding what is going on. However, I suspect that most of us do not stand in the authority that is ours in Christ Jesus to resist the enemy, to come against him anywhere near often enough. God has chosen you to be a warrior in the name of Jesus Christ. And the challenge is huge. So if you've ever felt desperation because of the state of our city or the state of our nation, you're not alone. In fact, it's not even a new thing. If you were to read in Isaiah chapter 59, you would see a picture that looks actually all too similar to the state of our nation and our society today. It describes unrighteousness, injustice and evil of great proportions. But having first of all described the evil of this world, Isaiah then goes on to record what God's reaction is to such evil. In verses 15 and 16, it says this, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. You see, God sees everything that goes on in this world and he does not like what he sees. Nothing escapes his attention. He never misses one sin, one harsh word, one, one thought, one injustice. And he records it all in his infinite mind and he feels the hurt of every one of those things in his loving fatherly heart. And he is grieved and greatly displeased by the evil that he sees. He does not like these things nor does he condone them. However, we often act, we even pretend as if God is unconcerned. Listen, God is not unconcerned. The Bible is very clear about this. God hates every evil and every selfish act of man. That is why we should be praying. That is why we need to be interceding. God is not pleased with what's happening. We need to be seeking him. Verse 16, however, of Isaiah 55 is extremely both startling but also sobering. Because God is looking for someone to intervene. But... There was no one to intercede. Question. Why is the eternal, sovereign, creator, omnipotent, omnipresent God looking for a person? Why is he looking for a man or a woman to intercede? Surely God can do everything. 
is he not all powerful? Well, yes. Can't he stop what is happening? Why would the Almighty God need a man? Why need a woman? Why need a person? And the question that many people would want to ask God today, particularly at recent events, is why does he not do something about the evil in this world? Why is there so much suffering? Why so much terrorism? Why Manchester? Why London? Why is it 80 plus people burnt alive in a tar block? Why does he not intercede? Where is he? He sees the evil of this world and he is astonished. You see, God also has a question for us. As he looks upon this world, he's looking for someone to intercede. And he's asking, where are all the Christians? Why is it that they are doing nothing so why is God looking for a man? For a, why is he looking for a person? Why is he amazed that there is no intercession? Because he knows the significance of intercession and the role of a godly person in this world. You see, God has established certain principles and he will move across this world in the affairs of mankind according to the degree of how specifically you pray. This is why God is looking for a person. This is why God is looking for someone to intercede and why he is amazed that no one can be found. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, he is all-loving. Yes, he is fully willing to change this world, but he stands amazed that we don't pray. And God is crying out, I want to move. I want to bless. I want to save. I want to protect. I want to provide. I want to stop injustice. Why won't you intercede? James understood this. You don't have because you don't ask. John Wesley got it. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. What about you? You need to know without doubt that prayer changes things. It makes a difference unlike anything else that we will ever do. Prayer changes things because God answers prayer. So when we pray, God moves. And God knows exactly what he wants to do. In fact, he has revealed his will through his word. At times, he has even revealed his secret will through his Holy Spirit so that you may pray according to his will. Now, don't get me wrong. God is not limited to us. He can do what he wants whenever he wants. He is sovereign. He is not bound by anyone or anything. God is God. However, God has chosen to include you and me to take responsibility and to take authority for this world. And God has chosen to move in the affairs of people to the degree to which you pray. God will not eliminate the middle man. One day is coming when he will come to reign, when justice will be poured out, when God will end this world and justice will happen. But there are certain areas at this moment where God will not move unless you pray. And he is astonished that you don't pray. And if you are truly convinced that prayer makes a difference, and you choose to pray with conviction and with passion and the authority that is yours in Christ. Listen, our lives 
our families, our city, our nation, I believe will be radically altered. God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman. God is looking for people. He's looking for churches. He's looking for people who will stand up and make a difference. This is your responsibility. God is willing and God is able. Let's stand together. Let's pray. This is the the last in our series on on prayer. I'm going to move on to just looking at some verses from John in the next number of weeks. But this message is important because prayer doesn't finish when we stop preaching about it. But it needs to begin. And God is looking for men and women who will take this seriously. I know some of you, I know many of you, I know many of you are already doing a lot of this. And this is to provoke us to press harder, to press in. Because if we truly believe the word of God, if we truly believe that God responds to prayer, that we are called to intercede for our city, for our nation, to see God come in mighty power in these days for just the outflow of his spirit even revival power, we need to be on our knees. We need to be interceding. And yes, we do it corporately, but there's also a call for us to do it individually as well, do it in our families. If I encourage you, if you're, if you're part of a, a family, set aside some time to pray with those in your household. Make it a regular thing that you do, but seek God. Ask that God would pour out his spirit in these days for the glory of his name. For the honour of his name. That we may take ground. But also there's a call for action as well. As we've started just going out every other week onto the streets. It's not just. We, we, listen we cannot organise enough events to change our city. But listen as individuals as we live for Jesus. As we've been called to do. As we go for coffees. As we shop. As we meet the different traders in the town. Listen we take Jesus with us everywhere we go. A call to carry the message. The gospel. The truth. Also as we go, we rebuke the lies of Satan over people's lives. And we ask the Spirit of God to come and make a difference. To bring change, to bring transformation. So Father, I want to pray, Lord, as we just stand in your presence. Just lift up your hands if you're comfortable with that. I want to pray, Holy Spirit. I want to pray for boldness. I want to pray for the filling of your Spirit on each person here. That we receive from you. Listen, if you don't know Jesus yet, perhaps today is the day when you, you come to him. You, you just repent of your sins. You turn from your sins. And you invite Jesus to come into your heart. And as you do, listen, the Holy Spirit will come and will fill you. He will equip you. He's everything that you need. But Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, just come and rest upon us now. Just come and minister into our hearts. Father, I want to pray, Lord, even in your presence right now, I want to pray for, for your healing. I want to pray, Lord God, for your touch. I want to pray, Lord God, for lives to be changed as we stand in your presence because we know that you can do such stuff, Lord. And so, Lord, we do want to say, Lord, we want to just to bind any work of the enemy over our church. Father, we want to pray against sickness, say, be gone in the name of Jesus. 
Father, we want to pray, Lord, for the, uh, just the, the pouring out of your spirit in these days, in these times, for your glory and for your honour. We ask all of these things in your precious name, and we stand in the authority that is ours in Christ because of the blood that was shed. And we have hope, and we have joy. That's where we began today. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We proclaim that. We stand in the truth of that. So Father, send us out. Equip us. Fill us. That we may truly go where you call us to go. That we may truly be intercessors. That we may truly bring and make a difference to our city for the glory of your name. We ask everything in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Just want to say, if you want to come and chat anything, if you want prayer, we're here for you. We'd love to, to pray with you, to stand with you. There's tea and coffee at the back. There's some buns and biscuits and cakes and whatever you call them these days. They're there anyway. Um, do help yourselves. Um, don't rush away. Do come and, and catch up with someone. Just to remind you, we're heading over for four o'clock this afternoon. Do be praying for the, the church plant in, in, in Nantwich. Um, we really want to pray for a leader for that more than anything else. So just want to add to your little list. We need somebody to really head that up. So we're asking God that God would provide for that. Um, brilliant. But do, do come and catch up with me. Yeah. Uh...